All right. So this is KKUP Cupertino, and you're listening to Poetry Radio. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita. Um, my guest tonight is Arisa White, and Arisa White received her MFA from UMass Amherst. She's a Kavi Kanem Fellow and the author of Black Pearl, which is the book uh, that she'll be reading from tonight. Uh, the other books that she has are Postpardon, Hurrah's Nest, and A Penny Saved. Uh, she's a 2013-14 recipient of an Investing in Artists grant from the Center for Cultural Innovation and the Northwest Regional Represent- Representative for Nepantla, a journal dedicated to queer poets of color. Arisa is a BFA faculty advisor at Goddard College. Um, I believe now Arisa is working in Maine. We talk about that during the show. Um, and and she has forthcoming books from uh, Augury Books in in the fall. <laughs> she probably has those books out already. I'm sorry, this is an outdated bio, uh, but it's inside of this amazing book called Black Pearl uh, by Arisa White. And here's my interview with Arisa, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you want to give me a call here at the studio, I'm at 408-260-2999 or 831-480-1999. So give us a call here at KKUP. Here we go. Across your work through Nomadic Press, I was sort of, I've uh, for the radio show, I'm always sort of looking for um, new writers, emerging writers, and specifically writers of color. And um, since I've been sort of reading in and around San Francisco for the past year or so, I <laughs> decided I wanted to go with people local in case I wanted to meet them in person. And so J.K. Fowler, you know, put up all of all of their writers, and uh, and it was beautiful to see that. I, I think almost all of the writers at Nomadic Press are writers of color. Yeah. And uh, your name came up, and I have your book, Black Pearl, your chapbook, and it's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, so. And I think you and I are working in the same spaces. I mean, you are a, you teach creative writing at a college, correct? I do. I'm I'm now teaching at Colby College in Maine, which sort of took me out of the Bay Area. Um, so yeah, so I am I'm now on the the north the northeast coast. <laughs> You're there now. Yeah, I am. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> How is it in Maine right now? What's it like? Well, I think it's about 29 degrees. Um, we, we had some snow uh, like last week and, you know, a few days ago. And it's, I must say, after living in the Bay Area for 12 years and very much coming into myself as a poet and as a poet in community, it, it was hard to leave the beautiful bay in that regard but i but this opportunity to be on a tenure track and teach poetry was sort of like this unicorn opportunity that oh. became available to me oh, so yeah, girl oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know i was just like what i just i get to teach poetry and then when i teach writing comp i get to teach it like a poet like yeah. so it was just <laughs> Just, I was just amazed by the opportunity. Um, so my wife and I, we, we moved out um, here last year. Mm. Um, and so it's been, I mean, just really getting used to the geographical sprawl. Mm. Um, so during the summer times, Maine has 
six million people here, as I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about six million people here. And then after the summer, it returns to one million. And wow. most most of the population is older, um, retired. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to sort of... Um, be here to um, navigate that landscape yeah demographic definitely so it's you know it's really a homogenous state in terms of it racially being um majorly white mm-hmm. and older so it's a senior population mm-hmm. um, and so maine is sort of also dealing with the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and so it's fascinating yeah <laughs> really fascinating and so just also trying to find community out here is it has kind of put me in this in this place where I'm where I am thinking about what is community Mm -hmm. for me so in the Bay Area I was like very clear you know Mm -hmm. I am a queer black woman artist and I could just like easily find um folks like that and communities like that and um, funding, supporting um, the cultural activism of those communities that I love. And out here, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, I have to drive to places and mm-hmm. being a New Yorker, I don't really like driving and I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like how, so now I have to be like really active and creating a community that isn't connected to my work, to the college. Mm. And it does feel like new work. Like it, it, it you know, is. just like, oh, God, I have to do it all over mm-hmm. again. No, I, I hear you. When I, when I went to University of Pittsburgh um, from California, I'm born and raised a uh, California girl, San Benito County around Monterey, uh, nice. where I live now. Um, but when I moved to University of Pittsburgh, there were like no Latinx people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they were there, they were hidden in the tent, <laughs> like where I during the years that I was there. And it was such a um, it was so difficult um, because I, I, I didn't get along with the sort of people that were in academia Uh, being a working class, well, not even working class, being a a child from poverty. Um, And I was working lots of jobs and didn't have funding. So I was always sort of in the working world of Pittsburgh. So I was trying to connect with what I was trying to find some kind of community inside of the city of Pittsburgh, but I couldn't find it in academia. And it Uh was just this constant struggle to locate myself in the world yeah so i get it maine's got to be crazy (laughs) yeah it is it's definitely yeah it's definitely different and i'm just trying to think about you know what what were the most vital things that i learned in the bay area um around you know creating art for community around just writing and getting inspiration and also learning how you know could you speak on any of those things from the Bay Area? Like, if you were to speak of the Bay Area's poetry community, like, how would you say, like, where is the power? Where is the, how is it to you? What What do you remember? What, I mean, what just holds fondly in my heart is the, is the, 
the kind of do-it-yourself culture and using the resources that you have to like pull people together and make art and gather folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in very, very, in many ways that kind of mirrors like my growing up, you know, I, I'm one of seven children, um, single mom, you know, was, you know, on welfare at different times, you know, um, in our childhood. And so, you know, but she was like, we're going to make it work. You know, Mm -hmm. we got this and we got this Mm -hmm. and we're going to figure it out. And so I think when I'm after graduate school and, and then going off to the Bay Area, I was able to kind of take that that resourcefulness, that kind of logic and and being in the world and kind of claim it as my own creatively and not think about it as a source of shame or a source of lack, Mm. but actually as a creative energy that has the ability to pull many um, different things together and um, form something as a result. So it was like a generative kind of... um, I've learned to be more generative and just like really take um, my ideas and see where they can go. And so, um, and so with that, I think, you know, I, you know, at the same time too, I was really resistant to, so after graduate school in 2006, where I went to UMass Amherst, um, I was like, no more school. I don't want to do school ever. <laughs> Again, (laughs) if I want to be a poet, I have to figure out how to be a poet without being institutionalized, Mm. you know, and so and so because of that, I, I had to figure out how to support the things I wanted to see in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got grants from, you know, the cultural funding program from Oakland and the National Queer Arts Festival. And uh, from there, beginning to, you know, branch out and meet different, you know, people and artists and think about how poetry can be on the stage or mm-hmm how poetry can be in a bar, how poetry can be the thing that creates mentorship between emerging and established artists. So I think the Bay Area just really taught me to to, to hustle mm. and use my passion as fuel because, you know, most of the time it wasn't going to be money. So, um, so yeah. I had to find different ways of different values and a different way of thinking about value. Um, And that's what the Bay Area gave me. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that sounds like the Bay Area and it sounds like the sort of, um, the sort of, the kind of hustle is the right term, but specifically hustle of people of color who come from our backgrounds where like our lives have been hustle and mm-hmm. so hustling in the world of poetry is only different because it's a different context. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of, and, and actually that kind of hustle I found is attractive to the academy for us, but is, or at least for me, but then once you're in it, there's a whole different structure of making poetry happen inside of the academy that is not like the hustle out in the real world. It's some kind of different thing that I'm still trying to figure out. 
Yeah, me too. You know, I have students now asking me, so how did you become a professor? And mm-hmm. I'm just like, um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it just wasn't a clear path. And, it, you know, it wasn't like I did this so I can get here. Yeah. Um, it was more like I was just, I was stressing out. I was loving the things I was doing and I was, you know, picking myself up and finding community that could support me and kind of encourage me through um, building a network. And from that network, it sort of, you know, created a kind of, you know, springboard or foundation, a support for me to try new things. Um, but really, it's just like going out on on your heart, you know what I mean? It's it's just like things aren't so clear cut anymore, especially if you're not sort of like, you know, I'm going to be a lawyer. Or I'm going to be a doctor. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just, you really have to create this. You have to be comfortable. I think with that circular path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, taking every opportunity given to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, you know, and even now being in the academy, you know, there's, there's, I have to, I have to kind of like switch my thinking a little bit because my longest relationship with like, you know, being in the academy is as a student, as a learner. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm a professor and I have to remember that. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, they're, they're looking at me as a source of knowledge and direction. <laughs> it's like, right. And so, and like, how do I, how do I teach? How do like, how do you teach listening to your heart? You know, <laughs> in these spaces, in these spaces that call themselves elite, that like to promise a certain kind of something that mm-hmm. the student will get when they're done. How do you teach listening to your heart? Because it can completely mess up yeah. the trajectory that your family want, like wants you on, that the school wants you on, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like being in that space, I don't, like I have the permission because they hired me, you know what I mean? Like I was very upfront about this is how I operate in the world, right, which right. is why I said yes to this job. Um, but at the same time, once you get into that, you know, institutionalized space, it does sort of corral your expectations and your ambi- ambitions. And all of a sudden, you know, I find myself second guessing um, speaking from my heart. Um, yeah. And so it's like how, you know, I have to constantly remind myself to to hold on to that, you know. Um, yeah. I- Yeah, like, otherwise, all of what has made me um, now will sort of disappear, you know? Yeah. No, I I, I absolutely know. I I gave up on academia for a while because it was just so, it it was that I, I couldn't look my students in the eyes and say, if you get this degree, you will be somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I couldn't. And so I, it was too much of a, a it was too much of a struggle at that point in my life. So I left and then I came back because uh, we were 
very 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 poor and I got a call and they're like are you a poet can you teach this class at the university on <laughs> Wednesday and I was like yes whatever you need me to do <laughs> um, but I'm at CSU Monterey Bay and we're a Hispanic serving institute and um, our our students are first gen from migrant families and that's exactly who I am which I feel very fortunate to teach in that space because of it but also it's the same thing that you're saying which is like how do I tell you that what you're doing may not be the thing that you think it's going to do for you? Mm -hmm. And how do I tell you that what you're doing is not for anything else but yourself? Like whatever yeah. education you're getting is not for a job. It's not for that. And But they look at us, right? The students, the students who want to see themselves in us and who can see themselves in us they look at us and they see success mm -hmm. and I don't want to tell them like, no, I'm, I'm not, this is not, this was, I, I don't know what to say. Like, this wasn't easy. Like it took a really long time and I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think it's sometimes too, like, it's also getting the courage in myself to be that vulnerable. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay. I'm in this space where there, a, where there's a sort of, you know, performance, and not performance as fake, but it is a performance right. of how to be an academic, how to be intellectual, mm. and there's something exciting and really juicy about that. I love that, <laughs> yeah. um, and but then I have to learn how to break sort of the mask a little bit and to bring in that vulnerability of like I and to say I don't know like practicing saying I don't know mm. which is so terrifying when you're expected to know yep but it is my not knowing that has gotten me here mm. right it's mm -hmm. like it's it's me not having the answer that has kind of guided the journey it's me trying to figure out why humans do this that encourages me to sit down and write a poem and figure it out through metaphor, figure it out through syntax, figure it out through a new kind of grammar, you know? Mm -hmm. It's that not knowing. And so it's like how 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 can I kind of break that that mask of the the professor mm -hmm. and have the professor be someone who professes the not knowing, you know, the nothingness mm -hmm. that is so important and generative to, to intelligence, to mm -hmm. ways of being in the world. And so I practice that. And sometimes I'm so sweaty <laughs> of the class, but at the same time, it makes me feel less anxious. Yeah. Um, it, it helps me kind of create the sort of fluid, kind of adaptable space that I want my classrooms to be where we can wander and and sort of like go off on tangents and you know let our kind of heart beat kind of guide something that we didn't think had a beat mm. um and so I think I mean that's kind of like and I think in some ways that's what I'm that's the kind of professor I want to be. And that's what I'm sort of learning. And, you know, and I think too, like there is all of this 
kind of stressed, you know, just in terms of shifting identity, shifting place and shifting responsibilities and all of that stuff. Like, I feel like I'm stepping into a new kind of era in my life, a new kind of another sort of like stage of evolvement that's far more expansive. Mm-hmm. And so it does create some anxiety for me in the sense of like, will I do well is often coming up. Um, but because of that, I am sort of trying to model a new, a, a kind of way of being that I didn't, you know, get to see in the classrooms with my professors that I, I think I wanted more of. Um, because I would have prepared me for those kind of behind the scenes moments when you're like breaking down, crying, being like, mm-hmm. what do I do with an MFA? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so, um, okay, I have an MFA and I'm applying for food stamps, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was intelligent. What the hell? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 definitely a struggle. Um, I I remember that well, and I, I you know for me it was like I I went into this creative writing class at San Jose State, and my professor was like, I wrote the first. It was you know just write a poem or whatever the assignment, and I wrote one, and he was like, "You're a poet. Like, have you ever written a poem before?" And I was like, "I don't know, like once or twice." And he's like, "You're a poet," and I was I remember saying like, "What can I do with that?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like. He was like, you could teach. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'll do that then. (laughs) But like, you don't know what that entails, you know, like you don't know what that means Um, and how hard it is to get to the point of teaching poetry. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate like you, I'm fortunate enough. I don't have a tenure track position at CSU Monterey Bay, but I do, um, I do get to teach the Chican, the Chicanx and the Latinx poetry courses because that's what I'm qualified to teach, and they don't really have anyone else to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get the privilege of teaching poetry courses as well as other courses. But um, I, I never would have imagined that I would be able to teach poetry to students who I care about in a space that is close to home. And I feel very fortunate as you, man, with a with a tenure track position. That's yeah, that's a unicorn. I don't care if it's in <laughs> Maine. I take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get to your poetry. Um, so do you have some selections to read to us today? Uh, yes, I do. Um, so I will. I'll read from Black Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, just because that is what brought us together. Absolutely. And um, I actually, today I just sent off a manuscript for a forthcoming publication called Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> and um, and it's about my estrangement from my father. Mm. And then um, going to visit him in Guyana to reconnect. Um, but writing that manuscript has been so hard because it's required me to let go of some some deep wounds. And it's so interesting how the revision process forced 
me to re-see and reframe my own stories about myself. Mm. Um, so I was so happy to send that off. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it was like the sixth round of revisions, and my editor was like, "You have to now remove this section." Because it's not about this person, even though you think it is. And I'm like, no. Uh, you're like, I'm done. I'm done. Exactly. Uh, but it's like this interesting way of like breaking you down. It's like this kind of masochism. And, oh, yeah. And you, and you have to kind of, it, it's a sort of kind of violence that requires, it's the violence equal to how deep the thing is buried, right? So, um, so the extraction always feels so gruesome and so hard and painful because that's how rooted it is. And, yeah. and my publisher editor just kept on calling out those deep wounds. And I'm like, damn it. You're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think I'll read um, a section from that as well. But okay. I'll start off with Black Pearl. Okay. And the funny thing about Black Pearl is it was written during this time of year. Um, so nice. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that as I was looking at the the book. I was like, oh, it was this season that brought the these poems That's to light. Perfect. Yeah. So the funny thing with this book is that the poetic drama came first mm -hmm. and then um, to sort of emotionally contextualize the poetic drama, I then wrote a series of eight poems that comes before mm -hmm. a kind of theatrical piece. So I'll just start with number one. Okay. Everything is very different now. Your shape has failed me. I want to scream you into a sacred geometric form. It hurts in my memory. Broken bones for a house and car paid down. A debt I bought for love. These are things we do for each other. Be family in that manner where thank yous run scarce and birthday suited. On the bruised end of your betrayals, I feel homeless as the day I was born. What freedom was carved out from her uncomfortable kiss? On the devil's clean five, we are no better picking petals from a square rose. I don't need your knots, your ripped dollar, or Sacagawea coin to a legacy of backseas or your tale of turning away. Mm. Wow. I read, I read this book um, while um, at a bar in Santa Cruz waiting for um, a woman who has become a really good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I and she's not into poetry at all. And I was just like, "Can I read you this line of poetry right now, please?" <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "I don't get it." And I'm like, "Damn it!" <laughs> I'm like, "What line was it?" <laughs> oh, uh, let me see. Let me go to the next page. I mean, don't. Oh, Rochelle, you got to edit that word out. Okay. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I've been really was... trying hard not to curse. A note to self. Hold on. Twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> I'm so bad. Um, 
There were so many things in here in this book that I just kept going over and over. Why don't you just keep reading? Will you just keep reading like two and then three? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'll totally do that. Number two. So the the poems, the eight poems that precede the poetic drama are part of a section called Nacre, which is the kind of mother of pearl that coats. Um, the actual pearl to make it its beautiful self. So, Mm -hmm. two. We can stare at each other at that fork in the road, and if we are rare, I am not done bleeding. We can take fruits before their time and leave the pits without burial. What part do you want to play? Your shoulders are cold, girlfriend. The whiskey is rock-free. You need to let down your terror. We were good news. Our hands were so much ink, and word after word, I couldn't stop touching you. Mm. In another's hair, you got tangled, and in the direction of your heroics, she stirred. Starts are always shining. Clear the sky with my rewind and give our backs the proper wings to get caught up in a silver lining. We can abracadabra through our hangups and love ourselves according to mountains and hoodoos. Okay, so it was those two stanzas. In another's hair you got tangled in the direction of your heroics she stirred. Starts are always shining is such a great line and such a great moment end of that sort of stanza and then the sort of hyphen into the next one where it says clear the sky with my rewind and give our backs the proper wings to get caught up in silver lining you're amazing (laughs) (laughs) you're amazing i mean the funny thing about writing these poems was that you know i was very much trying to still untangle myself from a heartbreak like a mm-hmm. one of those you know one of those relationships that really change you it just sort of like changes your dna about what love is and how how you're capable of loving um and uh yeah and so i think like during this time of year when it's all cold and it's dark and You know, I turn inward and Mm -hmm. I start reflecting on the past and, you know, where I messed up, you know, where other people messed up (laughs) Um, and how can I kind of, you know, move forward in a way that feels like it's going to match up with the values that, you know, I'm living my life by at that, that point in time. And so, you know, so these poems came out of like, they were written in the middle of the night. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I would, you know, I, I, you know, I would just either have a difficult time sleeping, um, or I would wake up and there was the poem was right, like right there, and I just had to get out of bed and write it. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. I feel that. My husband. You're listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org where we stream live all the time. This is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio. You're hearing from a discussion between Arisa White and myself about her book Black Pearl. 
Uh, KKUP Cupertino 91.5 is non-commercial radio staffed completely by volunteers and supported 100% by our listeners. We have provided an alternate source for music and information not readily available on other stations for over 40 years. By maintaining a separate se- separation from corporate backing, underwriting, or any other source of funding that might place demands on our programming, we're free to entertain and educate the listening community in a unique way. Every day we offer music ranging from comical to classical, reggae to barbershop, new age to oldies, and not to mention this amazing poetry radio show. If you find the station worth supporting, please become a member. You can do that online or you can give me a call here in the studio at 408-260-2999 or 831-480-1999. I'm going to play a song by Sarah Vaughn and then we'll be back with Arisa White in a minute. for like 10 years and we always went into our marriage talking about having an open relationship and um, although I haven't said this on the air so far so far but we we are polyamorous so we have Mm -hmm. other things going on and I think that the the starts are always shining hit me so hard because (laughs) 
Yeah, because, you know, when you're when you're out in the world meeting new people and, you know, there's all of this possibility and potential and beauty and it is it's like a it's like a shining beginning. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, as a poet, you know, you, you're like, oh, man, but I know the arc of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I can predict what's happening and what's going to happen. And, and that's sort of a curse. But um, but that really it really struck me. And actually, I felt, you know, I mean, I felt the heartbreak immediately. I felt the darkness in this book. I felt this sort of middle of the nightness and mm. perhaps that's why it spoke to me so deeply. I'm working on a manuscript right now that the funny thing is, is that like, I don't, I don't think about it ever, but then I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like heartburn. Like I need mm-hmm. to get to my computer and write. Yeah. Oh God. It's like, it's, it's just amazing like the sort of like creative spirit and how it does that to you, you know, it's right. And I mean, and that brings us to this question about like teaching. It takes me to the question of teaching poetry. Like when students are like, well, how do you, when you don't have any inspiration or you're like at a writer's block, like how do you work through it? And I just tell them, like, I've been trying to tell my writing students, I'm like, you just have to know yourself. Like, mm-hmm. what do you need to get through it? Like, I don't know what I need. I know what I need. You know, sometimes I need to drive for a few hours. Sometimes yeah. I need to walk the beach. Sometimes I need to just go to sleep and wait for it to come out in the middle of the night. It's so true. It's, I mean, it's so, it's the funny thing about teaching poetry. I feel like most of the time I'm teaching self-awareness. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm like, and really, you know, this past semester, I I asked my students because we were working with um, Tayimba Jess's first book, Lead Belly, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the work is persona poems and anthropomorphism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always have to like breathe as I say that damn word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked my students, I'm like, so do you ever? do the thing you are writing about in your poem. You know, just if it's not sort of like life-threatening or anything, Mm -hmm. but if you're writing about, you know, cooking macaroni and cheese or or putting, you know, like an on-fleek ponytail in your hair or whatever, (laughs) do you do it? Mm-hmm. just so you can like embody those details to like really get behind what does it mean to like wet your hair then put the gel and like feel it like feel it um not just at this sort of like tactile level but feel it like in your belly as you're touching the gel right mm-hmm. so they're they're looking at me like no they're <laughs> like no why would i do that <laughs> I, I was like, well, next time you're going to do it, you're going to do the poem before you write it. I know. You know, one of my students was like, what do you do for inspiration? And I was particularly like mouthy that day. And I was like, well, you know, I just take a drive down to Big Sur and then I go out to this spot where I can like swim naked in the river and I swim and I scream and I yell and I like crawl around and I like fill the dirt and I smoke some weed and then I lay out in the sun and then I like wait. 
Yeah. And I, and I hope that in the next week, that moment, those moments come back to me in the form of a poem. Nice. And he's just like, he stares at me like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it, and I think they I think they're surprised by our answers because they only see this as a class. Like everything yeah. has been sort of compartmentalized. You have seventy five minutes, you have some homework, get that homework done, get your grade, yeah. you know? And and I was like, all of these little boxes are creating honeycombs in your brain. Mm. And you just have to let the honey spill all out and over and get sticky, you mm. know? And but I can see everything is on this this false sense of time. And so there's a kind of panic around, I don't have the time or the space or the spaciousness mm -hmm. to do what you're asking because I have another class, you know? And it's just, it's like, how, and you know, so I think for me, teaching is like how to really expand our time to sort of thicken it. Uh, to, you know, make it gelatinous or something, mm -hmm. to make it so that they get in it and they realize that five minutes can become a whole year if you if you live in each second of it, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And mm -hmm. so it's, it's like how, to, you know, so I've been, like, especially in this past year, really thinking about space in my syllabus, mm -hmm. um, how to give them time to breathe, how mm -hmm. to give them time to think, you know, so that they can feel what it means to sort of slow down and be in stillness mm -hmm. and that they can actually disrupt and create ruptures in this linear time that keeps mm -hmm. on controlling us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And students and students in particular you know, they're, they're so pressed. I mean, I know we were, you were probably pressed for time as well. I'm, I'm assuming that you probably had to hustle while you were in school as well. And, you know, these students have lots of jobs and they've got lots yeah. of things. And then, you know, they're like, well, I've got to write this poem. And yeah, it's about self-awareness. And I'm trying to teach them like writing poems is only one aspect of being a poet. That's true. And I, I you know, and I used to like sort of think that that was kind of a kind of an annoying thing that poets would say like oh well <laughs> being a poet isn't about poetry it's about being a poet in the world and it's not until you actually come into body as a poet where you like say like oh I am like wow people aren't po there are people in the world who are not poets and mm -hmm. I am a poet and then when I meet other people who are poets I'm like oh they are a poet too and this is weird how we have all this confluence, like this space in which we like we exist in the same sort of galactic goo as poets where like <laughs> other people are not. Yeah. <laughs> and and so so for me, I think with with teaching poetry also is that I'm always kind of looking out for the students who I feel like like are poets mm -hmm. inherently are poets. And uh, and then I tell them, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I have to tell you this, but I really think you're a poet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do with what I just told you, but I'll guide you in whatever way I can. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's tough. But will you keep reading, please? Yes, I will. <laughs> I will. Number three.
I will get an arm severed from its torso, and I know it belongs to me because the blood proves its sorrow. I've let myself go distant and abroad, and in my handwriting postcards are written, is this what is left? The body after breath, grief after birds have chosen the bush and not my apologies. What new love will receive our candlelight? Across this island body, I toss salt and watch the skin lift water. A sunset sweet as mango is a muscle in the arm. We once held the sky from falling. Although I have many strings, none as beautiful as your violin. I will miss your song on my boulevard. You seeing me slender and reedy at the curtains. We now know the difference between gods and ships. I will not resemble trees in their reaching. I'll favor night when bombs ignite elsewhere, or a decorative suffocation I cannot wear off, or a kiss in the brine of its narcissism, or a ghost too spooked to look you square, or a burning thing like a country, like a woman brought to her knees. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about what these eight poems do and how they're framing uh, the poetic drama that comes next. So, what the, you know, I was, so the poetic drama is one where kind of, even the characters' voices are embedded, and I think it's it could be read by one voice and it can be performed mm -hmm. by four voices. Um, and so because I knew I was moving in this emotional arc, mm -hmm. and it's actually a kind of emotional, spiritual, psychic arc, the main character takes this um, journey around Lake Merritt so that she can sort of absorb... Um, kind of the inherited teachings she's learned from previous women mm -hmm. um, in her family line and from women in general. So what I wanted to do was kind of give a sense of who that uh, character is, um, where she is emotionally, what she's thinking about, also kind of setting up the reader to enter into the poetic logic that is the poetic drama, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's kind of a nice transition into this metaphorical spiritual world that um, the reader is about to go into. Um, and really, I, I, I just really wanted to echo that sense of like grief, loss, heartbreak, um, you know, the way that it sort of creates a mist around everything. Um so that's, you know, so that's what I was really kind of doing and kind of trying to get at to not just grief, but that sort of like anger, sadness that comes with grief as well. Mm. Yeah. And then so um, can I ask you about the sort of um, lineage, the poetic lineage for this poetic drama? Like, I mean, for me, any any sort of choreo poem or poetic drama always goes back to Entozaki Shange's For Colored Girls. Um, but I wonder if there are other uh, poetic dramas that, that have influenced you in your writing. 
Yeah, uh, for Colored Girls is hands down the the major influence right. for poetic dramas for me. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also kind of, you know, just then expanding in that tradition and thinking about... Um, just you know, really thinking about the the, the multitudes. Um, just thinking about a voice housing many voices. So I I love that kind of concept of mm. of how you know one voice is a chorus. Mm. Um, I also read, I believe it was Sylvia Plath has mm. a poem like a you know mm-hmm. a poem written for four voices. Um, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of faint in my memory right, right. now, which, which sort of speaks to, um, I guess, its influential importance to me. Right. Um, and then also kind of, you know, you know, being in the Bay Area for the time that I was, I was also doing a lot of uh, theatrical stuff. So I was excited about, you know, how how can poetic language, you know, be the language on stage? Mm-hmm. Um I was with the Berkeley Rep Playground. They have a um, a playwriters pool where you write um, ten minute plays. Um, I also, you know, worked on a libretto that kind of came out of this idea of wanting to create this like poetic opera that goes into the spiritual world and sort of makes sense you know, mm-hmm. uh, with a kind of mental, emotional, and psychic space that a woman, a mother has to be in um, to allow herself to kill her child and then her son, right? Mm-hmm. So taking this, this classic tragedy and casting it in the now and then using poetic language as the expressive mode. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think, you know, these, like, the the poetic drama gives me an expansive uh, view of the poem. It's, right. um, I, you know, I start thinking, like, you know, Shakespeare, and then, you know, now we have Hamilton, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. But there's something I, I would love to see come back in theater and just in everyday life where the lyrical and the lyric is elevated. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> so. No, I absolutely, I'm in absolute agreement uh, with you. I teach for colored girls in my multicultural poetry course every semester. And I tell the students, you know, it's a literature course, so they don't expect to be so involved with poetry. But I, you know, for, for colored girls, we all stand up. We, we all perform you know, I get someone to work on the lights and we just do the little performance in class. And, and I, I tell them, I'm like, this is the embodiment of poetry in real life. Like, this is how poetry can exist beyond the page. Um, and Entozaki Shange was just so prolific. And the funny thing is, is the very, I mean, it's not funny. It's, it's awful. I mean, when the day, the day she passed away was the first day I taught her book in my class at CSUMB. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really crazy. And I'd gotten the news. And and that semester, that performance with those students was just so intense. I haven't had one since then. But her 
I think her and Alice Walker too for me their their discussion on the multiplicity of the woman voice inside of the body mm-hmm. was just something that I'd always felt. I remember I remember Alice Walker being in a show being on like Oprah or something when I was a little girl I was like 13. And Oprah asks her something like, you know, well, how do you create these characters? And and Alice Walker says something like, well, you know, I just wait for them to come through me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're speaking out through my body. Yeah. And I remember thinking, whoa, I think I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so the poetic drama does give that that light to the multiplicity of our voices. It really does. It does. It just, it feels, it feels authentic. Like it, you know, in certain instances, like a, a poem works, but in other instances, you just, you just need more, <laughs> you just, yeah. more voice, more sound, more space. Absolutely. Will you read more for me of anything you'd like? Um, so I'll, you know, I'll read the eighth poem. In Black Pearl. Okay. Which, you know, has like a different orientation on the page, too. It's like, now we go landscape. Mm, yeah, I saw that. Um, okay. Hammers and Harriet's will care for me. Words from my mother's and yes will. Lions and twins, greyhounds in the throats of my happy hours will. Senseis and bastards, dope beats and those who strip for rain. Fire starters and border crossers will. We who do not give a will. The queer and new normal and truth that splits your tongue. Verdant laughter will. Hair wrapped in fist revolutions will. Virgins from the rough stuck-ups with their deuces surely cook up love in the sparrows of Brooklyn's kingdom will. Orphans who gallop wild, train wrecks who choke on trees, all navels made by innies, all innies made for outies, and they will. Lip lickers and goats in the will they rode in on, a go-sung serenade. The capitalized will. A will of sellouts, a will of Oreos, a will fresh off the boat. This heart that be my will, this thigh, this birdie will, this busted quartet. She who reminds me of my limitations, she who lets me be limitless. Tall drinks of halos will, farewells to take will, and wet wounds will flaunt their light. Wow. This book is incredible. It was fun. It was fun to write. And it was also fun to perform the poetic drama, too. Yeah, it's incredible. I can't wait. I can't wait to uh, get it in the hands of my students and make them read it out loud. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. I can't wait. I'd be totally happy to guest visit if that happens. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, and then will you read me one more poem so I can cut it and put it back into the show? Uh, yeah, so I will read you the prologue to Who's Your Daddy. Okay. This is a grandfather feeling. Here these walls convert into a perpetual bloom of cherry blossoms. Petals as understudies for tears and constant descent. 
when repressed, when repressed grief climbs up my mother's chest. The grief is her father's shape. She never heard his I love you. Cheated with a white woman, gambled away and didn't pay taxes on the family house. His bags brimmed with hurt shirts and broke trousers. My mother's petals. Dad, remember you used to take me to the bar. My mother's petals. In return, all the men I lost, I let break me. My mother's petals. It's difficult to say I love you. I move at the durational speed of this grief water, a rhythm that suits the running man. Thank you so much. You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org, where we stream live all the time. The show is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita. Tonight's guest was Arisa White. Uh, The book she read from is Black Pearl. I'm going to play you out with some music, and I'll be back next week. Next week, I will have a live guest. M.K. Chavez will be here in the house from Nomadic Press, reading from her book, uh, Mother Morphosis. So tune in next week. I'll be back with more poetry. Here we go, playing you out with some music, and uh, the Nightbird Susie will take it away.
Listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM on your radio dial, KKUP.org, streaming worldwide. Hey, this is Nightbird Susie with you. It's only a paper moon. It's only 